Father in heaven, thank you that your word um, is living and active in such a way that it is, is relevant for us each and every day. Thank you that it speaks to us, not just with ideas or advice, but actually you speak to our hearts. And so we pray as we wrestle with these five verses this morning, we, we pray that it wouldn't simply be um, a task of better understanding or getting a better grasp of the passage, but that you would be at work, powerfully speaking, and indeed changing us by your spirit. Help us to be those who rejoice, as Paul calls us to rejoice. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Particular welcome to you if you're um, not a regular at Maldon Road, perhaps you're a guest, um, a visitor, perhaps um, one of your friends has uh, shared a link online and you're here and you're not quite sure what you're doing. Um, particular warm welcome to you. My name's Dan Steele, I'm the pastor at Maldon Road Church and we'd love to get in contact with you if we can be helpful at all. If you've got questions or um, concerns or you want to um, chat about things, then maybe head to the church website or um, the comment section if you're on YouTube and we can um, see if we can get back to you and help. Um, I wonder how have you found your your mental health this lockdown. Um, some of you will know that in, in a previous life I worked um, in market research speaking to different people to try and understand um, what people do and why they do it and how they feel about things and what they think about things. Um, different clients from cars to pharmaceuticals to yogurts all that kind of stuff. Um, and so a few weeks ago I did a little online survey and um, for those people who work in pastoral ministry uh, who are ministers in churches asking about how they were doing um, through this through this season of COVID and lockdown, how their mental health was. Um, and nearly 75% said that the current lockdown had adversely affected their mental health. I wonder if the other 25% were liars. Um, that's those who have a role in leadership in churches who are struggling. And it's sad to hear, it's, it was raw, some of the answers, but perhaps not surprising. Telling in many ways, worrying. And it gave some helpful pointers for how, as a sort of pastoral community, we can be supporting each other through hard times. People were vulnerable and open. And I guess if those charged with, with leading God's church are struggling, then it makes me think these verses this morning will be relevant for all of us. They are timely for people like us in a time like this. And so another question for you then, if you've been around week by week by week through this series in Philippians and you've been wrestling, as we have, with some of these concepts and ideas from Paul, not just what it meant, but what it means for us. I wonder how have you found that almost weekly call from Paul to rejoice, calling us to be joyful? It's been a drumbeat, hasn't it? Again and again and again, week on week on week. But, but how have you found that? Have you found it encouraging, challenging or discouraging, guilt-inducing even? Because we know how hard it is, don't we? And on Sunday morning, we, we virtually gather and we're called and encouraged to rejoice and we hear Paul's words. And by lunchtime and squabbles over the table, it's almost forgotten. By Monday morning, it's gone. That was a thing for yesterday. Rejoicing is hard. No doubt it was hard for them, which is why Paul keeps banging on about it. But it's hard for us too. We need to be honest about that. Do you remember the contacts for them? 
the context for them. They are us facing real flat for their trust in Jesus, all kinds of directions and all kinds of issues pressing in on them. And um, there was some pressure and opposition from outside the church. We saw that in chapter one, particularly. We saw a couple of weeks ago that there were false teachers in town saying that circumcision was a must. And even more last week, as Richard alluded, false teachers peddling the idea that you can do what you want because God is bound to forgive. And if you've got those different groups and maybe even others who are opposing you as a church, then no wonder rejoicing is going to be hard. And in these verses for this morning, Paul calls us again to rejoice. But then I think he knows it doesn't come naturally. And so he, he lists three hurdles that we have to grapple with. If you like, three things that can rob us of an ability to rejoice. If you look down at your passage, you might see the words. Um, verse five, the first thing, I think gentleness. There's one thing for us to focus on. Secondly, in verse six is anxiety. And then in verse eight, thirdly, what I've called thought life. So gentleness, anxiety, thought life. We've not got the sheet of paper behind us today. And we've got your brain to try and memorise those things. Gentleness, anxiety, thought life. Three hurdles to rejoicing. Let me read the verses again and you'll see some of what I'm getting at. Verse four, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And each time, it's not just Paul telling us to do it or to not do it, to be gentle, to not be anxious, whatever it might be. Each time he is, he is giving us the reason to listen. He's giving us the foundation to believe him. And so each time he seeks to persuade us, showing us how these things are possible, because at root they always refocus and remember the Lord again. How can we rejoice always? Well, each point is see reality in terms of Christ and what he's done and what he's doing and what he will do. And so remember the story because you've forgotten the story. In the language of Magdalene Road, um, put on your joy glasses. We've seen it week after week after week. It's, it's why Paul, even though he's in lockdown in prison, even though things haven't gone as we would have hoped we were in his shoes even though he's facing opposition and hardship and frustration even then Paul can rejoice because it's not so much about his circumstances or his situations or his stuff but rather it's in Christ it doesn't just it doesn't just command us to rejoice chin up old chap pretend it's okay and then behind closed doors or when the zoom call finishes everything falls apart again no, it's, it's there in verse four. It's rejoice in the Lord. Did you notice that? The problem with opposition, the problem with hardship or suffering, the problem with lockdown or the problem with problems even, is that they have an annoying way of, of overshadowing and, and looming and infecting everything. So they begin to consume us. 
they begin to shape us they begin to define us we begin to to imagine ourselves in view of those sufferings our identity gets tied up with them and all we can see is them and we can't see past them and we end up thinking paul how am i meant to rejoice do, do you not know all the stuff i've got on my plate paul do, do you not know the things i'm dealing with and so we we rejoice in the lord says paul and it's not pie in the sky it's rather lift your eyes and your hearts again to see reality in terms of christ and what he's done and what he's doing and not your struggles and not the lockdown and not your frustrations or your sufferings or your concerns or your anxieties no remember the story because we've forgotten the story again and if christ overshadows everything and if he consumes us and he defines us and he shapes us and maybe we can begin to think about rejoicing because he is bigger than whatever is going on a modern road i don't say that glibly because i know that is a hard truth for us to grasp at times i know particularly some of you watching in with this will have been through are going through horrible things and so i i say this to myself as i say it to us he really is bigger which is why we can rejoice in the Lord. We must be a people who, who daily preach that reality to ourselves because we daily forget it. If you were to come around to our house, um, which you currently can't because we're on lockdown, but there's a, we often have Spotify on um, and uh, there's, a, there's a, um, a, a hymn, a, a worship song. We don't sing it at Magdalen Road. Um, but the lyrics get stuck in my head and they go like this they say it may look like i'm surrounded but i'm surrounded by you and it goes on and on and on it may look like i'm surrounded but i'm surrounded by you i think it's a reference to the various battles in the bible god's people they see the proverbial giants they see the huge enemies they feel overwhelmed they they recognize how tiny they are how insignificant how outnumbered and yet then they remember that they have the Lord on their side. And so they, it may look like they're surrounded, but actually they've got him. And so Paul says, even when you're in lockdown like Paul, you can rejoice in the Lord because he is bigger. And then he goes on to these three hurdles. Three hurdles perhaps will why we have struggled to rejoice these last 10 weeks or so, even though we've hit it again and again and again through Philippians. Even, even why that, that rejoicing has not become a reality in our lives. Three hurdles. Number one, verse five, do you remember gentleness? A bit of me ask at this point, why? Paul, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near, he says. And what's the link from verse 4 to verse 5? What's the link from rejoicing to gentleness? I think it's because of the opposition they're facing from the outside. I think that's what's going on. Or even the squabbles that are being caused on the inside then. The pressure outside, meaning factions within, do you remember? So what does he remind them of at that point? Well, the Lord is near. Be gentle because the Lord is near. 
what a truth for brothers and sisters around the world who are facing opposition and hardship today. What a truth for brothers and sisters who are feeling oppression, anger, who are suffering today. What a truth for us. The Lord is near. And so firstly, the Lord is near. You're not alone. Friends, we might feel isolated. Indeed, socially isolated, as has been the term that's been used. We might feel physically on our own. We might feel, even if we're with other people, we're in a crowd, but it feels like everyone else has gone. But dear friends, if that is you this morning, whatever the context, know that you are not alone. The Lord is with you. He has not left you. He is near. Or it could be that facing the opposition and the hardship, facing the factions, you want to lash out at people. You want to retaliate. And yet, secondly, then, because the Lord is near, you don't need to retaliate. He has seen it. He has seen the way they treated you. He has he has seen what they said or what they did. It's not gone, gone unnoticed. And one day justice will be served, says Paul. The Lord is near. You don't need to retaliate. So you're, you're not alone, firstly. But then you don't need to retaliate. You can turn the other cheek. Because he's a God of justice. And it's not gone unnoticed. You can leave it to him. Isn't it? When life is hard, it's, it's hard to be gentle with others, isn't it? Our fuses shrink and, and we lash out. But Paul says we can be gentle. We must be because the Lord is near. And if that was one hurdle, if that was challenge enough, well, alongside gentleness, he talks secondly then about anxiety being a hurdle. Anxiety is a huge problem. It's a huge problem for people like us in a place like this, at a time like this. We live in an anxious age as it is, let alone with lockdown. A couple of years ago, there was an article um, in the papers claiming that anxiety, and a broad definition of anxiety, represents the most common form of officially classified mental illness today in the world. And it's not just the younger generation of whom much has been documented and commented upon, but, but actually across the board. At that point, two years ago, 37% um, of people report feeling more frightened than they used to. Okay, more frightened than they used to. I wonder if that's doubled over the past 10 weeks. I wonder if that's tripled if we include the last two weeks and lots of the political and the social unrest that's been going on. There's been turmoil. And so why, as Paul calls the Philippians to rejoice, does he bring in anxiety? Well, where does our anxiety come from ultimately? I say this carefully, but I wonder if it's this. I wonder if anxiety is at root always a result of us trusting in the wrong thing. I'll say that again. I wonder if anxiety is at root always a result of us trusting in the wrong thing. 
to think about it in terms of social media and our online presence, if you like. Many of us are engaged with that. Perhaps we have been more so over the last few um, weeks. People have taken to their computers and are connecting in different ways on different social media platforms. But think about the anxiety that can be associated with that. Um, the anxiety that comes from us finding our worth in what others think and the, the likes and the loves and the retweets or not. And I've, I've posted that photo and it's, it's brilliant. Now, where is everyone? Why does no one like it? Maybe it's not connected properly. Maybe it's not uploaded and we feel an anxiety. How are we being perceived? How do people view us? Maybe there's anxiety that comes from FOMO, fear of missing out, not being a part of things. And, and you see all your friends at a, at a gathering and yet you must have slipped off the invite list and it makes us anxious that we're missing out. Or the anxiety that comes from worrying about the news feeds and worrying about the trajectory of the world and worrying about the what ifs rather than what we know and who God is and what he's like and that we can trust him. Which are all us when push comes to shove not really trusting in the right things. It's interesting, actually, the whole identity thing is a, is a big thing for people. It, this identity anxiety that comes from our online um, presence. You, now you get to decide your identity. You, you be you, and that can bring a whole load of stress, associated discomfort. And rather than value and worth coming from outside of you because you're made in the image of God, rather a, a worth that is bestowed upon you because you're in God's image, now it comes from inside of you and, and who you really are. And we get to create and recreate ourselves as we wish. You can change your body, you can tattoo it, you can be who you want to be, you can add a new filter, you can, you can get the profile picture just right. And the anxiety that comes with that wanting to portray yourself to a watching world in a certain way. And yet who gets to decide? And what happens if I change my mind? And, and actually, who am I really anyway? Let me read those verses again, verse 6 and verse 7. Um, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice, um, notice the reality of what Paul says. It's, it's very earthy. It's very everyday. We're a people potentially who can be anxious about anything and everything. In a, in a virtual gathering like this, there will be a plethora of things that we might be anxious about. We are anxious about even. Ranging from... Uh, how the Sunday roast is doing in the oven. Do we turn it on? Will it be cooked in time? To walking into a room where we don't know anybody? To the uncertainty of what's coming up next week or how we're going to move out of lockdown or a difficult meeting in the diary that we might have coming up or heading back to school or how we're going to catch up on homework or coursework or what exams are going to look like or the anxiety of money or jobs or relationships, anxiety of how our children are doing, how our grandchildren are doing. And in a gathering like this, some of those things maybe resonate with you and others you just don't really get. You just shrug our shoulders. They're not things that we get particularly anxious about. 
Which is why Paul can say, verse 6, there's an anything, as well as in every situation. But the question is, how do we deal with our anxiety? Well, friends, what Paul will say to us is, is ultimately, it's not just distractions. It's not head in the sand. It's not headphones on. It's not trying to think about something else, to binge the next box set or to binge the next bottle. How do we deal with anxiety? At root, Paul says we pray. And Jesus will say a similar thing in the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you think, well, you meant to say that. Christians are always banging on about prayer. But just bear with me for a moment. What Paul is wanting us to do is to look away from ourselves, to look away from our own context, and indeed to look to our Father in heaven who loves us and who cares about us and who knows what we need. And we're to go to him and present our request to him with, with prayer and petition and with thanksgiving even. And so he can and he will give us a peace. I know that's the testimony of countless Christians around the globe, down the ages, and indeed folk who are watching now. You know what it means to be anxious, and so you know what it means to have gone to the Lord and found a peace from him that you can't quite understand. Problem is, it's, it's easier said than done. In the midst of that anxious moment, as the song goes, and not wanting to sound trite, often we are slow to pray. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And I say that to you as I say it to myself. Often we're slow to pray. I think because of pride, primarily. Because too, too easily we trust in self. We, we trust the wrong thing, which is where our anxiety comes from. We... We trust in our ability to deal with the situation. I wonder if that's why with thanksgiving is in there. It's curious, isn't it? In the fog of the anxiety, when we press pause and when we take stock of what we do have and when we give thanks for what we do know, then suddenly we get a perspective again. Suddenly we get a different understanding of our situation. It's been striking to me again on, on the sort of social media of the last 10 years, uh, sorry, 10 weeks, that um, people have been posting images or ideas or quotes of things that are simply positive. You have these kind of 10 day challenges, 10 days of memories, 10 days of sunsets, 10 days of books or music or things to be thankful for. It's as if the kind of collective understanding of our anxieties, we should need to focus on the things that are good. And that, that is right. That is certainly part of it. It's being thankful for what we do have. If you want to share that on social media, go ahead. But I wonder if it's better to be thankful for the one who gave them, as well as for what he's given us. Maybe you know that. Maybe you know the reality of this. You know you're feeling anxious. You know you're stressed. You can feel your, your chest tightening. You can feel perhaps you're heating up, your, your heart rate is going up. And, and you know, if you, if you sing to the Lord, perhaps, it's often where we have Spotify on, 
maybe you find something to help you do that. And so the anxiety begins to lift because you give thanks to him for who he is and what he's done. You, you recall truths, your heart is warmed, your perspective is altered. You remember the story again. You remember who you really are. You remember Christ, you sing of him, his love for you, his death, his resurrection in your place. You remember that he was raised again, that he's ascended, that he's patiently building his kingdom now. You remember that your sins have been dealt with. Your shame, your guilt has been taken away because Jesus died, because he loves us. You remember all you have in him, his gracious kindness that is yours. And you remind yourself of that reality. You give thanks. You trust again in the right thing. And suddenly you find that anxiety is not quite what it was. Let me let you in on my world a little bit. I find that to be true for me and often I think for those in Christian leadership. There's a sense in which anxiety can come. We can be anxious about all kinds of things. We can be anxious because we're not in control of a situation. There, there's an uncertainty of how something will turn out. We can be anxious because we, we're fearful of failing and being seen to fail. We can be anxious because we're fearful of division. We can be anxious because we're fearful of what others will think of us and our sermons bomb. We can be anxious because we're fearful of shrinking churches. And yet we're anxious basically because we're trusting in ourselves and our ways of doing things, rather than how the Lord has told us to do it. Maybe for some of us, it's not so much a trust in self, or, or that trust in self maybe is seen in trusting in something or someone else. Which means we find ourselves getting angry or despondent or irritated or anxious because we want or feel we need something and it's been taken away from us. That of our grasp is not for us anymore. The, the kind of things that give us meaning, the trophies of the world, when they are removed, when we can't trust in them anymore, then suddenly we find ourselves getting anxious. And we certainly can't rejoice because that thing has gone. See, if your confidence comes from what people think of you, it's going to be a constant battle to keep yourself on people's feeds and admired and liked and retweeted. Maybe it's why people have struggled so much with lockdown. But if your confidence comes from your job or your title or your employment, then if you've been put on furlough, that's going to be painful. That's going to bring anxiety. If your confidence comes from your money or your savings or your investments or your bank balance or your pension, then you're going to get very twitchy because the economy has taken a significant downturn and house prices have fallen. That's going to make you anxious. If your confidence comes from your friendships, then it's going to hit you hard if there's an argument or there's discord or unresolved issues or people block you or ignore you. Or simply that you can't hang out with your friends in a way that you used to. Because we're all in lockdown. Those things will make us anxious. If your confidence comes from stability and routine and knowing what the future holds and having an assurance of that, then this is going to be a very hard season for you indeed. If your confidence comes from safety or comfort, well, access to real-time news feeds from all around the globe and reactions and hashtags and people with caps lock on won't be helpful for us. 
can you see the blind alley the the kind of things that we trust in that we can so easily get lost down which means we're not thankful which means an anxiety comes which means we can't rejoice Morden Road, let's pray for each other that we will be a, a church increasingly, incrementally, who trust in the right things. Who look to him rather than those things that so often we can trust in. Pray that we would be a church increasingly that are able to rejoice. So there's gentleness, there's anxiety, and then verse 8, verse 9, thought life. It's how we think again. The problem with anxiety, the problem with being unable to rejoice more often than not is that our minds and our hearts are focused on, fixated by the wrong things, the kind of things we've just been talking about. And therefore it's that mindset question again, isn't it? It's how we think. It's come up again and again and again through Philippians. So he'll say, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things anxiety comes a lack of rejoicing comes because we're thinking about the wrong things it's interesting if you if you zoom in on verse eight and those those virtues that he lists there it seems like paul is doing a couple of things um, interestingly, a number of the words he uses at this point, it's a bit technical, but a number of the words he uses at this point are only used here in the New Testament. And yet they are quite common in their usage outside the Bible. So from the literature of the time that we can read or the thinking of the people from the time that we can read of. Which means, you wonder what Paul's doing? Maybe he is appealing to the kind of perceived wisdom of the time from their culture, from their society, from their moment. And yet he's redefining it. Wisdom about what upright or righteous living looks like. And so he takes their words, he takes their arguments. And yet in the context of Philippians, what, who is the most beautiful thing that we've seen or person we've seen? True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy thing. Who is it? It must be Christ, mustn't it? At the very heart and the foundation of the letter to, remember 2 verse 5 to 11? Remember it have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, think about him. Think about him. He is the personification of these things. He is what the, the culture of the time are looking for, are really wanting. They, they speak more than they know but they end up in the wrong place. It's just a mere shadow. Think about him, says Paul, and rather than trying to distract yourselves and forget your anxieties and stick your head in the sand and put your earphones in, he, not your phone, not YouTube, not podcast, not Facebook, not Netflix, not alcohol, he is the one that we are to think about. 
He is the one who is to shape our mindset. He foundationally is the one that we are to ponder upon and meditate upon and, and give thanks for and to think about him. Him. And yet we try and sedate ourselves. We medicate ourselves with the wrong things. So think about Christ, focus upon him and, and that will begin to help us deal with our anxieties and so will lead us to be a people who can rejoice in the Lord. Jesus is true. Jesus is noble. Jesus is right. Jesus is pure. He is lovely. He's admirable. He's excellent. He is praiseworthy. And when we think about him, then we'll be a people who can rejoice. Let me lead us in prayer and hand over to Catherine, who will continue us in prayer. Let's pray now. Father, we, we long to be a people who can rejoice, who rejoice because, because we know that we're in the Lord. And yet we acknowledge that we, we struggle with this. And so we thank you for Paul's realism in these verses. But we thought about hurdles or barriers to rejoicing. We thought about gentleness. We pray that we might be a people who are gentle because we know that you are near. Or we, we pray that we might deal with the hurdle, the, the issue of anxiety. And so we'd be better at giving thanks, remembering who you are, remembering all that you've given us. And the third hurdle of, of thought life, Lord, we, we long that we might remember Christ. We confess we are so forgetful. <coughs> And so rejoicing can seem so alien. We long to be people who rejoice. Help us, we pray. Amen.